Welcome to Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region. I'm Amy Spreeman. And I'm Kyle Armstrong. Today, we're talking about the special place in our communities that libraries have and the unique ways that they are shaping how all of our neighbors experience life in the Fox Valley. Yes, and just the same way our demographics are changing and becoming more diverse, our libraries are changing too to ensure that their services, programs, and materials can be enjoyed by all. Wisconsin has 389 city and county libraries, the largest being in Milwaukee, and the smallest well, it would probably have to be one of those free little libraries where yes. you take a book and share a book. And there's so many cool things about libraries that they have now. You can find just about anything at local libraries, from gardens to guinea pigs to flight simulators and even video recording studios. And someday soon, we are going to take you to experience these things in a future episode of Voices from the Valley. But today, we are going to focus on the way libraries not only reflect our communities, but also help shape them to enrich the lives of people who live here and visit here. And to do that, we are visiting with librarians and patrons across the valley. We start with Colleen Rortfed of the Appleton Public Library. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Colleen, why don't you introduce yourself? Let us know what you do at the Appleton Public Library. Sure. Well, I'm Colleen Rortvet, and I'm the library director. Um, I've been at the library for 25 years, actually, at Appleton Public Library. Um, I started shelving books on Sundays a long, long time ago, and um, I just I have the distinct privilege of being kind of one of the community faces for the library, um, which is just full of. Uh, we have about 100 amazing people that work at the library, wow. and and so it's just a real treat to. Um, be a part of the organization. We want to start by you know, talking about the value of libraries in our communities and how these facilities are so much more than books and videos and, well, brick and mortar buildings. They really serve a bigger purpose, don't they? Bringing people and ideas together and really creating those bonds that, uh, you know, give us all a feeling of belonging to a community. Absolutely. Um, I like to say that the heart of the library is people, and it's really the relationship between the library staff and the community and what they can co-create together. So every library in every community is going to be different because every community is different. And so the, the best libraries really figure out how to engage with the community. Everybody that walks through the door has a different need. We meet people at their point of need, and more and more we're engaging with other community entities to do that. Um, we know that we have great resources on the shelf. Our, our book collections are legendary. When you yeah. think of libraries, you think of books. Yeah. And um, I think that's something that, from an identity standpoint, we, we struggle with because we get a lot of people who think that maybe that's a, a dated thing. Um, but more and more, the community is one of the greatest resources. So we curate communities kind of like we curate the resources on our shelves. A library is so many things. Yeah. So when that person walks through the door, it could be to access our collections. It could be to access technology. It could be a new parent looking to find story time or get their child's first library card. Um, it could be somebody looking to attend a program or looking to search for jobs or figure out how to fill out a resume or apply for a job today when so much more is technologically driven. 
it could just be because they're looking for something and they don't even know what that is. And the library might be the one place where they can walk in the door and they don't feel like a client or a patient. Um, so we're all those things. And I think that's what people struggle with in understanding because it's a complex organism. And that's actually our strength. It's not our weakness. It might be a marketing weakness, but it's it's really our strength mm-hmm. in terms of what we do for communities. Well, you talk about anybody can walk in and, and you know, you're able to help them, serve them. Um, what are some of those unique needs that you're finding that some populations have? You talk about, you know, curating communities. Um, how are we able to, or how are you able to rather, um, help curate communities that maybe have been historically underserved? So one of the things that we've had in the old library on Oneida Street, and we'll have when we reopen in Oneida Street at the new library, is we have an initiative called the Community Table. And so in the past, when you walked into the library, you might find a table for Feeding America or mm-hmm. for Veterans and Admi- Veterans Administration or Partnership Community Health or COTS. And they're staffed with, with their folks. We're not experts in all they do, but we can be part of No Wrong Door. And people that a lot of people come into the library looking for something, it's a high traffic place in general, and it's going to be the place where you're likely to find the most diverse um, cross section of community, all socioeconomic levels, um, all backgrounds, all abilities, all skills. And so we tend to be a real high contact place for those organizations. Um, you know, they're not getting in people's faces and pushing, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> pushing their information, but they're there in this kind of like, oh, pa- kind of passive, friendly, engaging way that um, somebody might realize, you know, for some reason I'm off my food share benefits. I don't know what happened and I just haven't been able to get there to the office, to the place wherever the organization provides direct service to clean that up. And so maybe they can get help right then and there, walk out the door with whatever that issue is resolved. Um, I think that's that's one of the benefits is that library isn't, it, it doesn't have as much of an institutional feel as a lot of other places. So that's, that's one way that we can serve the community. We're really kind of elevating and putting forward other community organizations, but in the same way that we've done with resources as well, like same with books on the shelf, you stumble on something, it's really important, it might change your life. And um, hopefully, at least in the end, you learn something. Well, and you've really removed some barriers here by providing uh, just that direct contact with these nonprofits that maybe somebody couldn't get in their car and drive to, or uh, for some reason, maybe they couldn't uh, call on the phone. Maybe there's a language barrier. Right. Absolutely. It could be a language barrier. It could be stigma. It could be that every other interaction that that person had that day is with somebody that's treating them like a patient or a client and that they just want to walk in the door of a place where they're they're on the same terms as everybody else. So when you walk into the library, you're a patron, dated phrases that is, and we can debate the, the word patron or customer or whatever you want to use, but, but you're a person sure. and um, you don't have to have a certain belief. You don't have to fill out a lot of information. You don't have to have a client number. You don't have to um, share your life story. You can be totally anonymous. Your your library use is actually, um, your privacy is protected at the library. Um, so I think that all of those advantages help us connect with communities that have been traditionally marginalized or have maybe felt a bit of stigma or fear 
Um, we, we, we aren't going to like grill you on, on all of that. <laughs> um, sometimes when we're engaged, allowing these other organizations to engage, you know, it's a, a bit of a friendlier entree to the information that they need to collect because you're just in the library and you're probably just going to maybe pick up some magazines and read and sit in the sun and, um, use the computer that day. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's wonderful that you're welcoming those other nonprofits to, you know, start to connect over their services in the library in that friendly environment. What are some of the ways that the library is directly serving those those communities? I think, mean, particularly of of um, non English language services and story times, things like that. Sure, sure. Um, so our children's programs, um, we have. Uh, a lot of different programs that are really geared towards different de- developmental stages or different needs. So we've had um, we have sensory friendly experiences for for children. Um, the traditional library experience can be quite overwhelming. The library isn't the shish hush place of the past it is usually pretty active and engaged especially in the children's section and that's what you want i mean you you, if you walk into a children's section and there's not a lot of fun going on there's something weird going on there (laughs) so um so from sensory um we just started uh asl story time Mm. um with a grant from the rotary club of appleton um, we have programs for English language learners, especially in the children's programs. We're working on pre-literacy skills in the birth through five area. And so in those early, early um, younger programs, we're teaching read, talk, sing, write, play. And those are foundational to pre-literacy skills. Mm, yeah. And we're going to be the place where a lot of those, those kids are before they get to kindergarten. And so we can help them be on the same page as as the rest of their peers, even if they come from a family that maybe isn't speaking English in the home. Maybe the parents um, have a bit of uh, fear about not being able to read the children's book with their child. So we can we can help those parents understand that it's okay. You don't have to be the perfect reader, but also we can model some of those behaviors and story times and help you help you feel more confident in your parenting. We also engage in a program called uh, Reach Out and Read Fox Cities. We are the coordinating organization for that, and that is supported by uh, United Way Fox Cities. And we work with most every clinic in the area that's providing early well child visits and physician um, in in medical settings from right now six months to five years, but that's actually um, starting to also back up to birth, where in every one of your well-child visits, you have the reach out and read methodology. So our staff coordinate to help the medical clinics have access to that program, make it easy for them to be a part of it, because there are a lot of, it, it isn't just a book giveaway. You have to have the physicians trained in the methodology, so they're using the book diagnostically in those visits, as well as providing um, the developmentally appropriate guidance for that stage. But once the clinics kind of get on board with it and become reach out and read quick clinics, they're just, they love it. It helps improve the environment in those well-child visits. 
visits, so it's maybe not so much about the shot. The kids remember leaving with a book because they get to take that book home. And for some families, that is the only book they may have at home mm-hmm. until they at the end of five years, hopefully have yeah. well, way more than 10 books. Um, so that's another way that we, we work with a variety of communities because we know that um, a lot of times there's gaps in who's showing up for access to services. When we've had um, bilingual programs, they are so popular. Our, yes. our long story times um, at the old library prior to the pandemic, of course, you know, we would have like... 50, 75 people, like entire families at these programs, just just huge, huge attendance. So I think it just shows that the library is a place of trust for communities, maybe because we're not so institutional. Um, and also it's it's free, it's accessible to all. It's it's a civil right to use your library. So Yeah, um, and, and you mentioned the the Hmong Library Story yeah. Hour, and that's starting up again. Yeah. Um, and I had the pleasure of going to the Kensington Drive location in Appleton uh, to to actually visit. And you're right, the parents are there too, learning. Uh, They're seeing the different ways that people are reading uh, these storybooks to children and it's great. Um, Tell me a little bit more about the Hmong community and how you've done outreach traditionally. Sure, sure. So for a long time we've had um, we've prioritized having collection access um, to have Hmong materials in our collection. I think that was some of our early work. Hmong resources, book content wasn't available in the traditional ways. Um, and although Hmong was traditionally a spoken language and not written, um, and not everybody that speaks Hmong reads Hmong, it was, I think, a very important priority for us to, to have a collection that demonstrated th- that, that, that the library's for you. And yeah. way back then, actually, I was the media librarian at the time. Um, and that was a collection that I focused on. We had some locally created shows that um, we had in a collection, um, and we accessed children's materials that were in Hmong. Some were bilingual, some were just in Hmong. We put furniture out that was advised to us by a group of Hmong elders. Um, and it wouldn't have been the furniture we chose, so it was it, it was. It was something that we we needed this guidance at the time. So that was kind of the early days. And then we got much more, um, I think, sophisticated. The truth is that we needed our staff to reflect the community better. And um, we we did receive some grants in the early days for funding among outreach coordinator. And now that is a, a city-funded position. Um, there, that position for children, um, Mm -hmm. does outreach to families to really help connect with those parents, to help them, you know, like with learning that they're their child's first teacher, what different um, options there are for them in in um, pre-literacy skills and and um, engaging with the community. So they they do all of that in kind of mm-hmm. an informal day-to-day way, but then they also develop these great programs. And so we have the early childhood programs, and then we realized that we kind of were dropping off and didn't have something for the older kids. So we developed school-age English language learners um, programs as well, our ELL club um, that uh, has gone on for several e- years now. And then, you know, in the temporary library, we've had to adapt and do things differently, but we're, I think, getting really ready to, to go full force once we get back home downtown. 
Well, and you know that that library is in the old uh, Best Buy building in Appleton. Wanted to point that out. Thank you, Colleen. Let's go there now. Let's take a listen and see what's happening at the Hmong Storytime. What if it was fun eating his favorite lunch with all his new friends? So today we are reading a book called Back to School Tortoise, and then the second book is Do Not Invite Dinosaur to Dinner. Have any of you guys ever invited a dinosaur to dinner? What do you think? Yeah, you have? What do you think happened? So my name is Sia. Um, I grew up in this area in Appleton, Wisconsin. My family is originally from Thailand, but I've been here since I was six. Um, And I've always loved the library because it's such a fun and safe space to be in. So I've been a library kid for as long as I can remember. I started um, in my position about a year ago. So I'm the Hmong Family Outreach Specialist. And uh, my position was actually a grant-funded position by Community Foundation. And so that's how it all started. So now, fast forward many years later, it's no longer that it's a permanent position, but at the very beginning, it was a grant-based program because of Community Foundation. It's a tiger, that's right. So how do you say tiger in Hmong? It's a very, very special role. I have me and one of my other colleagues who specifically work um, with minority families in the area. Um, and so we get to design programs that are specifically for that population. So I work with the Hmong population and then my colleague works with the Hispanic population. So when I remember being a kid and I remember... I was maybe in like fourth or fifth grade when the library first had the Hmong collection. And that was so exciting for me um, just to be able to see Hmong art in the library and to see the collection that we had. There was a lot of different DVDs. There was a lot of different books. Um, and so as a kid, that was super exciting for me. Um, and so now as an adult, getting to work here at the library and then offering programs um, specifically targeted for the Hmong community has been really important for me. You see too, my friends, that sometimes in our stories, we don't have the Hmong words for certain animals. And so when we don't have certain words for certain animals, I will just use the English words, okay? One of the main programs that I run is the Bilingual Storytime, and we are the only library in the area that offers a Hmong Bilingual Storytime. And originally, the story time was developed um, and targeted more towards three to six-year-olds, so like that early preschool age. But over the years, we've kind of come to see that the community has been wanting more uh, bilingual story time for the older school-age kiddos. And for a lot of families, it's actually um, a time for the kettles to come and be exposed to the language. And so now it's kind of transitioned from offering a programs um, for families who do not speak English to more of a program that is for language preservation. And a lot of families, I think, you know, have been really enjoying that for the kettles to come here, connect with other Hmong children, and then be able to hear a story in both English and in Hmong. Story about Tortoise and how he's the teacher, but he gets nervous. I've been trying to get him to like read Hmong, but then I think when he's here with like other kids Mm -hmm. reading Hmong, like he's a lot more motivated to actually learning like his native language. And we try to make him speak Hmong because he's 
like the youngest one in the family so he barely speaks Hmong and like we have like this language barrier between him and my parents so like my parents have to kind of learn English to like communicate with him and then he has to learn like Hmong to communicate with my parents but like he like doesn't speak Hmong so kind of coming here has really motivated him to kind of like understand the importance of oh like I need to learn it so I can have like longer sentences with my parents you know Okay, so before we move on to our next story, my friend. Uh, my name is Neil. I have my um, son, Aaron, and my daughter, Jasmine, and my other son, Nolan. It's fun because my kids get to interact and learn Hmong. Um, they honestly don't know Hmong because <laughs> it's English in the house. and so. I think one of the biggest challenges that I see from my experience is that a lot of Hmong families in the Hmong community, a lot of the times the parents think that the teacher role is just for teachers at school, when in reality, like parents are very much, you know, can be a teacher at home and a parent is a child's first teacher. And that that's something that I'm still like working very hard on, on pushing forward. Um, and I think a lot of our second generation and upcoming parents are, are, you know, they're aware of that. But sometimes when we still have the first generation, parents are still not aware of that. And so that's something that I work really hard to push. Um, I've been to Appleton since 98, so it's been a while. But I now moved to Nina. Uh, my name is New. I just love that it's pretty diverse here and they make you feel welcome. Um, I just love to learn the opportunities that we have to explore. I think for any families, especially for newcomers, it can be a very intimidating space, especially if you don't speak the language and you don't see a lot of folks that look like you. It can be a very intimidating space. What me and my colleague do is to make sure that we take up that space for families to know that we are here for them. We specifically make programs that are targeted for them because we want to make sure that they feel welcome in this space as well because it is for, you know, the whole entire community. Good morning, Mr. Tortoise. They all shouted back. I mean, for me, I think it's it, it's such a great joy to be able to share stories with with these children, because um, I know, like, growing up as a child, I wasn't being read to because my family's first generation, so like my parents didn't speak English, and so I wasn't read to, and so like this is such an exciting space to be in and to share the love of stories with with kiddos. Hello, friends, come join us. You guys missed our hello song, but that's totally okay. <laughs> Do you want to make a difference in your community, for you, for your neighbors? We can help you build a solid foundation of giving and impact. The Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region offers easy, flexible, and effective ways to give today and forever to help you strengthen your community for future generations. Find out how by visiting cffoxvalley.org. We are back talking about all the ways our local libraries are bringing our diverse Fox Valley communities together in a way that welcomes and edifies all. Two of those communities, Menasha and Brillian, have invested a lot of library resources to reach out to their Hispanic neighbors to break down language barriers and celebrate culture and tradition. Un monstruo? No. Es 
Uh, my name is Lydia Dill, and I'm the director at the Brilliant Public Library. I've been here for about two years now. Um, there's so many things that I love about Brilliant. Um, I grew up in a small town around the same size, so I've always kind of had a passion for smaller communities. You really get to know each other and get to care about the people that you're serving, which is one of the things I love about Brilliant. Brilliant's definitely got a fairly decent-sized Hispanic community for the size of Brilliant itself. Um, we actually have a newer um, Mexican grocery store that just came in. So, you know, we're trying to breach a lot of those gaps that have grown in our community to welcome them and show them what Brilliant has for them to utilize. We have been applying for grants to help with funding to do those programs. And one of the ones that we've recently received was from the Brilliant Area Community Endowment Fund within the Brilliant Area Family of Funds. Um, and that's going to allow us to do um, a Day of the Dead take and make that we are going to offer this year. And that will include supplies to make a sugar skull craft. And then it will also include an educational book for every family to take home and keep. The misconception is that Day of the Dead is like Mexico's Halloween. That's not true. Um, it's a lot more about remembering those that you have lost in your life and honoring those loved ones, but it's more of a celebration than a mourning. Um, so we're really looking forward to bringing some of that party almost to Brilliant. And so these, these kits will include a lot of educational material as well as the fun crafts. Um, each family will get to take home the book that has activities and recipes and different ways that they can celebrate as well. In 2022, we also received a grant, and we used that to purchase 67 new materials for the library itself. Um, those ranged from youth to adult, from nonfiction to fiction, um, all kinds of materials for all kinds of age groups. Um, we are also working with the Brilliant Nature Center to provide a bilingual trail tales um, so what that is, is we, we break up the story and it goes along this nature walk. So as you're walking the path, you get to read the stories. And the fun thing about this round of Trail Tales is that both books being featured are bilingual. So they're English and Spanish. Um, I've actually recently learned that the word library looks like a Spanish word that means bookstore. So it can kind of be a little confusing. I think that community doesn't necessarily realize that we're free for almost anything that we provide and that we're here and we're open and we want to help. So we've been slowly working. It's been a process, but we're hoping that each step that we take will help us reach that Spanish-speaking community a little better. Victor, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Well, we want to start off by talking about your position a little bit at the Menasha Public Library. You were hired three years ago now and uh, as the Latino Outreach Specialist, thanks to a grant from within the Community Foundation. Tell us a little bit about that and how you came here. Sure. Thank you for welcoming me. Um, so I did start at the Menasha Public Library, which technically is the Elijah D. Smith Public Library in Menasha, but it's uh, also known as the Menasha Public Library. Yes. <laughs> I started off as a Latino outreach specialist with the goal of increasing third grade reading level skills. Obviously, that is not a one person job. It is a, a mammoth of a goal, but yeah. uh, the reading 
scores in the Menasha school district were a little bit uh, below level uh, around the Fox City. So uh, the city of Menasha, the public library, the community foundation all agreed that there was room for a, a person to do some outreach in the Latino community because the library as an institution in Latin America is not the same as it is in the United States. Um, it is mostly in the big cities, and it is mostly for university students. So it okay. is not the equivalent of what it is in the United States, where uh, for generations children have enjoyed story times and yeah. books and all types of things that are not well known in the Latino community. So part of that uh, uh, goal was to introduce the concept of the American Library to Latinos here in the Fox Valley, specifically in Menasha. That is interesting. And let's go back to what you said about your purpose here to uh, increase the reading level at third grade. That's a very specific purpose. Uh, tell us a little bit about the research and why third grade? Why, why was that uh, targeted? Sure. So I'm not a teacher, but I do have a background in social science. And we do know that those first few years of education um, are going to determine the rest of your life, basically. Yeah. Because if you can't read by third grade, um, you're just going to kind of go along through junior high, through high school, not ever catching up, not ever being successful and throughout your life. So um, I think that we know that being uh, at reading level or above reading level from kindergarten to third grade is very important for the rest of our lives. Another uh, concept within the Latino community is that we just send our kids to school and that's they'll get educated and that's that's it. Yeah. Um, where we know that the first educators are the parents. Yeah. So we need that support within the home, at school, from our teachers, from the library. Um, but parents are the number one pushers, encouragers for their own children. What a great opportunity that you have to actually work with parents, too, uh, to help them in their roles and, and realize that what the, what the library has to offer. Yeah, and that's been um, my main challenge is getting people through the door um, and finding those people to yeah. speak to. So I don't have access to everybody's address and know where every Latino lives. And there yeah. isn't a place where we all hang out. So, you know, it's been a challenge to get the word out. But I visit the schools. I visit the Banta Bilingual School um, to make my face known and, and spread the word and invite parents and children to the school. The children know about it, but they don't drive and they, you know, so they have to ask their parents for permission. Sure. But um, it's a learning process. It's a, it's a, a long term as opposed to short term uh, mm -hmm. challenge. Um, so we're in it to win it. We're here to educate parents, to encourage them, to welcome, welcome them. And we do that uh, through our programming. So mm -hmm. we offer uh, Spanish language programming. I offer English classes for the parents, tutoring for the children. We have programming that is culturally relevant. Mm -hmm. um, I came up with this formula a year ago during the COVID crisis to see what worked, what didn't work. And I, I came to the conclusion that the most important thing is that it has to be culturally relevant because something like a story time is very relevant to Americans, but for uh, my culture, it's not a thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not relevant to them. So if you promote it, you're not going to get the same response as if you celebrate Dave the Child. Yeah. 
which is not well known in the United States, but it is in Latin America. So I would get maybe one or two families to our story times. But mm-hmm. when I did a Day of the Child event, I would get uh, almost 200 people. So I, you know, that's where that light bulb uh, went off. And I said, oh, okay. So uh, I'm not from Mexico. I'm from Los Angeles, but I still understand the culture. I'm around it. I've been around it. So I know the big holidays and the festivities, holidays. So we're going with that and it's brought uh, positive results, focusing yeah. on what is relevant to the Latino culture. So Day of the Child, Day of the Dead. We just celebrated Latin American independence on uh, September 16th. So this was a great way to, you know, bring all Latinos, not just the biggest ethnic group, which is made up of my ethnicity, the Mexican group, but also South Americans, Latin Americans. You know, the, we basically all fought uh, in the 18th century against Spain at the same time. So it, it doesn't matter the exact day of independence, but the fact that we fought together. It's kind of um, making the whole group feel welcomed, yeah. that it is accessible to them, that we have programming in their language, and basically personnel that looks like them and speaks their language. Mm. That's so important. I know you've mentioned the programs. What about the resources that people will find when they come into uh, the library in Menasha? What will they find uh, that will help them uh, bridge some of those gaps? Sure. So specifically for Latinos, um, you have at least two personnel who speak the language. So they're uh, Latin Americans, Spanish speakers are able to come to the Menasha Public Library. We have uh, Anna Acosta in the reference department and myself, Victor Flores, in the children's department. Now, our, our, our library will be going through some changes in the near future. Um, so there may be some shifts, but the personnel will be there. As far as uh, programming and resources, um, so those two people can speak directly to uh, the Spanish-speaking community in their language. We have English classes. We have programming for children. Um, A lot of our services will actually be referrals. So, you know, if you're looking for housing, we would refer you to Pillars. Um, Depending on what needs the patrons would have, we would basically give referrals to um, for uh, uh, sister organizations or partners in the community. Well, Victor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. We've been talking about how libraries are serving diverse communities of people in the Fox Valley. Over in Nina, we had a chance to visit the Valley VNA Senior Care Facility, where the Nina Library is bringing all of its colorful stories and experiences to seniors. Many are in memory care programs, but when the music starts and the stories unfold, their eyes begin to light up with joy. Let's listen in. Today we are doing the intergenerational story time uh, at Valley VNA Senior Care, and it's in partnership with the Nina Public Library. We've actually been doing this since March of 2023. My name is Tracy Nikolai. I work at Valley VNA Senior Care, and I'm the director of marketing and development. Valley VNA Senior Care is actually a nonprofit, um, so we do, um, you know, help the seniors, but also help our communities. So that's why we do programs like intergenerational story time to reach the community and really be a part of where we uh, work and live. All right. Beep, beep. Beep, beep. <laughs> Sheep said, "Bah." 
Cow said moo. Oink said a piggy. Beep said blue. They're doing singing and they have books.、Um, they also bring scarves and those lovely, colorful parachutes. And so we have our residents and members from the community coming in as well.、Um, and they're actually doing their regular story time with all ages. So we have, you know, newborn babies all the way up to our oldest residents coming in here.、Um, so it's really great seeing the smiles in everybody's faces and the interaction between the different generations and kind of breaking down all those barriers that. You know, sometimes come out、um, when you're out in the community.、Um, so here it's just all ages playing together and reading the stories, and everybody really enjoys that all together. Even though the stories are geared towards children, all ages can really enjoy that because there's so much collaboration and fun, and just seeing the kids come and dance and play, and then you see the smiles on you know the older generation being there as well is just so amazing to see. Oh, this was fun. We had as much fun as the kids did. <laughs> yeah, with with children like this, this is great. John and Nancy grew up in Nina. They've lived at Valley VNA since 2017 and almost never miss a story hour. And of course, what makes it great is that girl that's doing it. She is. She's good with the children, and that's that's wonderful. But it's a wonderful place to be. Everybody just gets some so joy out of it because sometimes we're reading our favorite books from the past that you don't just pick up and read,、um, but it really kind of unlocks that memory from the past. You know, people with Alzheimer's and dementia they still remember music and songs from their past. So a lot of times with the story times they do kind of sing along with the books or have rhymes and nursery nursery rhymes you remember from a childhood. So that really brings everybody together, and both the adults and the children really enjoy that. We're wrapping up this episode. We hope we've inspired you to check out your local libraries and support them if you can. You can learn about all the resources we talked about today in our show notes by going to cffoxvalley.org/podcasts. There, you can subscribe and get all of our episodes delivered to you wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region.